My name is Kevin Bates, and I'm a pastor in Sherwood, Oregon. Each and every week, we desire to take theological principles, biblical stories, and narratives, and all the genres of scripture, and help you immerse yourself in order to embody and apply them to your everyday life. I want to encourage you to tune into this online broadcast each and every week. And ways you can support this is first, follow our Instagram page for Resonate, like our Facebook page for Resonate, and you can listen to this broadcast and make comments underneath of whatever social media channel you listen to. You can financially support our ministry through our website, ResonateLife.org, under the Give tab. So you are joining us on Thursday night at 8.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and for this podcast, and this will also be replayed on Sunday morning. If you wanted to listen throughout the week, you can. It will be posted, but it will be replayed as a broadcast every Sunday at 10 o'clock. So every Thursday night, we're coming together live to do a better understanding or to gain a better understanding of the material that we are covering. So we call this a deeper dive. And if you've been following us online, you remember that we are in the book of Exodus. So today, Exodus 13, 17 through 15. And I am joined today with my expert leaders, Sherea Bodner and Jake Flug, two of my leaders at Resonate. Good evening, Sheree and Jake. So glad to see you again. Hello. Hello, thanks. Okay. So we're going to start out by reading scripture. And we got to get into it because we try to keep this to an hour. There are no promises. So we decided to take all of our ladder material and throw it into what we call overtime. So we're going to keep this portion to an hour and then everything else we want to talk about goes into overtime. That's going to be a separate video. Uh, so you could be with us for the next two hours uh, if you wanted to stay for overtime. That's as long as we've gone. Um, but usually just an hour and then hopefully a half hour, 45 minutes of overtime if you choose. So we try to do this at this time at 8.30 so that the dinners can be done and winding down in your homes. And instead of just scrolling through endless nonsense of whatever on your phone, we decided to give you something good to go to bed with and think about. So 8.30 to 9.30 and then 9.30 to infinity for overtime. All right, Sharia, you're going to take it for Exodus 14. All right. Exodus chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and set up camp in front of Pi-Hahiro, between Migdol and the sea in front of Baal-Zaphon. You should set up camp in front of it by the sea. Pharaoh will think to himself, the Israelites are lost and confused in the land. The desert has trapped them. I'll make Pharaoh stubborn and he'll chase them. I'll gain honor at the expense of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did exactly that. When Egypt's king was told that people had run away, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people. They said, what have we done letting Israel go free from their slavery to us? So he sent for his chariot and took his army with him. He took 600 elite chariots and all of Egypt's other chariots with the captains on all of them. The Lord made Pharaoh, Egypt's king, stubborn, and he chased the Israelites who were leaving confidently. The Egyptians, including all of Pharaoh's horse-drawn chariots, his cavalry, his army, 
chased them and caught up with them as they were camped by the sea, by Pihahirath in front of Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh drew closer, the Israelites looked back and saw the Egyptians marching toward them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you took us away to die in the desert? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt like this? Didn't we tell you the same thing in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us work for the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to work for the Egyptians than to die in the desert. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Stand your ground and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You just keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to get moving. As for you, lift your shepherd's rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and split it in two so the Israelites can go into the sea on dry ground. But me, I'll make the Egyptians stubborn so that they will go in after them, and I'll gain honor at the expense of Pharaoh, all his army, his chariots, and his cavalry. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain honor at the expense of Pharaoh, his chariots, and his cavalry. God's messenger, who had been in front of Israel's camp, moved and went behind them. The column of cloud moved from the front and took its place behind them. It stood between Egypt's camp and Israel's camp. The cloud remained there, and when darkness fell, it lit up the night. It didn't come, they didn't come near each other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord pushed the sea back by a strong east wind all night, turning the sea into dry land. The waters were split into two. The Israelites walked into the sea on dry ground. The waters formed a wall for them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians chased them and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and cavalry. As morning approached, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian camp from the column of lightning and cloud and threw the Egyptian camp into a panic. The Lord jammed their chariot wheels so that they wouldn't turn easily. The Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites because the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water comes back and covers the Egyptians, their chariots and the cavalry. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. At daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. The Egyptians were driving toward it and the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the cavalry, Pharaoh's entire army that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. The Israelites, however, walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters formed a wall for them on their right hand and on their left. The Lord rescued Israel from the Egyptians that day. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the amazing power of the Lord against the Egyptians. The people were in awe of the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. All right. So for those of you who are curious about what our overtime discussion is going to be, it's going to be about violence in scripture, where we see it, what to do with it, and then also violence in the church. So we're going to take it to the whole subject of violence. Uh, That is going to be... Um, a really important discussion. I hope that you can take the time to listen to a potentially healthy perspective 
for you on violence in scripture. So we are going to start out the discussion. I'm just going to take a few moments to help us and remind us of, once again, the theory that I am proposing. The theory that I'm proposing is this, that Exodus is an entire picture or an the narrative of Exodus is a picture and a depiction of all of creation, all of humankind leading all the way to eternal life and revelation, thinking about eternity coming to, or excuse me, um, the temporal coming to an end and then the eternal realm for forever and ever. So I started out this hypothesis with the totality of the universe and Exodus being this picture of the totality of the universe with an ever reoccurring sin cycle that is within the universe as we know it now. So within this theory, there's some aspects. First, we do see that there's a direct connection between chaos and order and the creation story. Bringing things from chaos to order in the creation story is separating the waters and bringing forth dry land um, and, and hovering over the deep and the skies and, and the, the earth. We have now the, the two light and darkness. We have earth and the heavens. We have a separation of just basically chaos or the firmament all the way to now there's order of things. So you can take that and, and bridge that to Noah, where in Noah's story, we have water that covers the earth. The water then separates in and dry land emerges. And then the people are saved through this event or through this water. So as, as Peter would say, so the separation of water, uh, in, in the creation account, the separation of water in Noah's account is what they call a recreation story in Noah. The same can be seen in Exodus, where now in this, I thought it would be really good to read about the actual exit. And so they exited out of Pharaoh's land through the water, where we see the splitting of water onto dry land to get to the other side. So another idea of chaos before all chaos, before the water, all the plagues, all the chaos before, and now we are now bringing uh, order to the chaos with the hope of going into eternity, hope going into the promised land rather, that is the picture of eternity. Then there is a reoccurring sin cycle that we see with the people and they, Moses does a lot of his own things and he has a habit of doing his own thing. And so they get trapped in sin cycles. Then of course, generations die off. And then only a certain number of people are actually allowed to enter into the promised land, but generation after generation after generation past, uh, I guess the initial whatever sin that was that we see in Ezekiel 20, where they worshiped Egyptian gods and ended up in captivity in the first place, 
generations later, there's a universal innocence that I think can be bridged as well, that we're sitting there going, well, I don't murder and I don't lie and I don't cheat and I don't steal and I don't take the Lord's name in vain and I don't worship a bunch of gods. So I'm, often. I got the often. <laughs> so I, I have the top 10 kind of dialed in, right? And so I'm innocent. Why do I need salvation, right? So we all have this idea that we have a universal innocence and that can be taken in lots of different directions but then there is redemption there's salvation we see a reoccurring salvation story uh, throughout scripture leading us to this idea of jesus being the ultimate salvation the true messiah and tying this back to exodus now with this 10th plague in history, in Christian biblical history, rather in biblical history, we see that the first fruits, whether it be your crop, whether it be the fruit, whether it be the grain, whether it be the, the money that was earned, whatever it was, the first fruits were the tie that was the first fruits to God and God took claim to the first fruits, including the firstborn children. And so the firstborn children are considered the first fruits of God. So he exercises his right to take, according to scripture, to take the first fruits. And that includes all children. And as we see in the Passover, where the destroyer comes in, and passes over the Israelite door because the first fruit lamb was sacrificed and put over the door, the blood and the destroyer or other translations say the angel of death passed over those homes and saved those first fruit children for a different purpose, for a special purpose. So the Israelite children were saved. The Egyptian children um, are killed all the way to then Jesus being now the first fruit of God, the only begotten son, God's only son is the fruit first fruit from God. He exercises his right to sacrifice the first fruit for the special purpose of then salvation and conquering sin and death and Satan. And we're going to get into that in the end. I think that is a very important conclusion and discussion, but we have some massive problems to cover today because huge. when the, when the huge, when the Bible gets bad, it just got worse. And so we're, what are we supposed to do with the God allowing the angel of death to kill children. I mean, we see this over and over. So that's just a taste of what we're going to cover in, uh, in basically part three. I forgot that I forgot something Jesus forward. Now in my theory, we have Moses and Miriam are singing this song. And I think that, I think that Trey in our pre-work was correct that Miriam had a bigger part in this than she's attributed this little tidbit, but she probably wrote the whole book, who knows? But anyway, so, or at least that section. Um, so 
the songs that were that were sung in the end have allusions to eternity that the Lord will reign forever and ever, that God will reign forever and ever. So there's the eternal realm sung after the salvation through water, after the Exodus uh, out of slavery, out of Egypt, we see Miriam's song. So do you guys have any other, that's my hypothesis. Sharia disagrees with me a little bit, which is okay. I'm Uh, waiting to be convinced. (laughs) okay so as anybody have thoughts about now that we're at this point we're crossing the water what do you guys think about the hypothesis or whatever yeah sure we just talk about this hypothesis for the next until you believe it's true (laughs) it's the eternity part that i still have hang-ups on okay well we can throw that out and what 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 do you see as the eternity part Shreya? I don't know. That's why that's why I have a hang up. So it doesn't give you a clear picture of eternity and that was that's what the problem is. Maybe. I don't know. Nothing feels quite final, I guess. Explain a little more. Oh dear. On the spot. Yeah. Well, if you're the contrarian, you have to be on the spot. That that's fair. <laughs> Well, do you think that it's, I mean, to me, when I look at the victory songs sung in the end, like if I go to Miriam's song, okay, right now, and I look at Miriam's victory song, sing to the Lord for an overflowing victory, horse and rider he threw into the sea, right? Right. We're going to get into this, Mm -hmm. but if the sea represents evil, Mm -hmm. Egyptian represents Satan. Now we have this song of victory over Satan. So, so I I guess I'm letting the cat. Yeah. Letting the cat out of the bag there. What? I'd be careful saying Satan. It's not a character that comes up for quite some time. Sure. Okay. Yeah. You're right. And then, and then also you have, that's me. What do you call that? When I, when I take my modern day, anachronistic and anachronistic thank you yeah that's it i just did an anachronism is that what i did yeah kind of yeah okay um (laughs) i I think it shows the importance of reading especially the pentateuch the first five books of of scripture and taking that as one as one story Mm -hmm. with five Mm -hmm. sections and so you know three of the sections are awful to the section that you say the other the other three are a pretty good story that it's a story and so uh the continuation of themes from the first book to mm-hmm. the fifth book we we get into a lot of issue when things don't match up quite right and what we've argued the whole time is that it is it doesn't match up perfectly because of the inclusion of other perspectives in from the same editor. So there's this mishmash of ideas and concepts Mm -hmm. that all come together. Um, But I do. It has a a tribalistic view. There's a tribalistic idea behind it. What was important to them. And so I see validity in the recreation narrative over and over and over again yes 
all the way up to even even in judges mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's it's a, a little it's a little more clear there because there's a cycle there's a cycle yes. there's the pattern yeah. um right well where where i'm getting the eternal portion of the picture is right before so so miriam's song mm-hmm. is this is has similarities like that little excerpt from her song has similarities to moses's song and that's why i think okay this writing doesn't even sound like anything written before yeah so it's like plopped in here right so who actually wrote this poem or this song um it's lord that uh you brought them in and planted them on your mountain the place the lord that you made your home the sanctuary lord that you your hand created the lord will rule forever and ever always i'm getting hung up on the chronology because this is in the middle of the story when it's the end of the hypothesis. But also we're going to, that's a great segue into way later in our outline. We're going to come back yeah. to that idea. We are. <laughs> so, well, but I also am pulling this out as kind of a special section because this is considered, correct me if I'm wrong, this is considered mm-hmm. one of the oldest pieces of ancient yes. literature that we have. Ancient yeah, at least of Hebrew literature. Ancient, yes. Yeah of this and that's this section of scripture so right particularly miriam's song not even moses's song right so it goes to show me that there's there's something very special about this that has been preserved for some yeah. reason yeah okay well throwing it out there again you're just I gonna keep throw throwing it, it until no I, no i won't i think i think this is it this is it because we're on the other side of the sea and the song is you know, about ready to be sung and I'm done. Okay. Well, you got, so, you got at least you got at least three more times to do this. So <laughs> no, no. All right. So there are some key moments in these passages, 13, chapter 13, all the way to 1521 or 15, mm-hmm. uh, 20, yeah. 1521 wow. that there's key points beyond the sea. I think there's key elements that need to be noted beyond the sea. Number one is the pillars. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have, excuse me, do you guys have any thoughts about the pillars in 1321, chapter 13, verse 21? Yeah. So God was leading the Israelite people out of Egypt as a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke. It may have been the same pillar just like a a day and night version (laughs) yeah (laughs) kind of makes sense it's like why would god use the same pillar i guess right it's like a hue light yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yes it probably Um, wasn't probably not yeah but one of the things that's um notable about this is that in a key moment in abraham's life when god is making a covenant with abraham um, yep. God like appears as what is it a, a smoking pot a smoking and a pot torch. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um, again so we have we the see, same like, imagery yep so is this a sign of promise I wonder like 
I think it's notable that this was a covenant moment. Um, yeah, so, definitely. So as we're retelling the story, we're doing a recreation thing, but also I, I think that theme of covenant has to be has to be there too. Well, honestly, when you read smoking pot and flaming torch, and now we have a smoking pillar and a flaming pillar. Any, it's yeah, right. a Hebrew a Hebrew listener would have heard that and went, Oh, that reminds me of, you know, especially in exile. Well, and I mean, my, in the covenant, they were splitting animals in half and, and walking through the blood mm-hmm. in the middle, which is a bit like splitting the sea. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me, but again, I don't want to get anachronistic and speak into, you know, I, right. I don't know what to do. Yeah. <clears throat> Adam says it was night mode. Yeah. It, it was night mode. Hey, let's uh, do a little Hebrew fun. study. Okay. Uh, let's do it. Let's, let's show people your, your head space here. So let's go into um, Exodus 13, 21. If you <laughs> want to pull that up on your screen, Jake. Exodus 13, 21, and we're going to look at the column guides of light and smoke. Give me a moment, sorry. Are we going to compare it? Yeah, I would like to. uh, Would you look up the scripture, Shreya, um, Abraham's flaming pot and flaming pot, flaming torch and smoking pot? Smoking pot, yeah. Yeah. Are we doing uh, a? Are we it doing makes a, sense that he was smoking pot. What? We're, we're doing a, a full on. We want me to do side by side. Sure. Let's look at it. So 1321. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Lord went to, to before him, I guess, mm-hmm. by day. So to before them by day mm-hmm. with a pillar of cloud. Okay. And to lead, that's when Pearl them. That's the, the way. way yeah, the way in the, in the night. So the way of the night. So he uh-huh. led them by the way of the night with a pillar of fire, mm-hmm. of light, a light fire Ooh. to them. It's like extra special fire. Uh, to they went by day and night. So they went by day and by night. Okay, so can we so then, put, pull up what it, what is it? Genesis Genesis fifteen seventeen. So Sharia, did you pick up the word uh, for um, light or fire? Uh, ash is fire. Yeah, ish. Okay, and then cloud or smoke. Uh, I think so. Like a non. Okay, here we go. Fire flame passed between the two. Yeah, a smoking vessel. Smoking. The Lord. The Lord. Uh, Shemesh. As the sun had set, the Lord after the sun had set, the dark was the whole. Uh-huh. Oh, there it was. Go back. Smoking. Smoking. Yeah. Sean. Okay. So they translate that cloud in Exodus, but then smoking here. I would need to look back at Exodus Exodus to know that that's the same word, but fire is the same word. Oh, here we go. 21, right? Yep. Uh-huh. 
That's fire. Where's cloud? Over right there. Next next word. Unknown. Okay. That's a different word. It is. Okay. Yep. Here is cloud, smoking, yep. torch. Okay. Flaming, flaming. It's a very, very big flaming trough. A flaming okay. flame. So, so basically there's not a connection. We just discovered there's there probably maybe, maybe a an illusion, one, but not, yeah. not a word, not for a, word a la- not a la- word not for word connection. Right. Okay. Well, that cleans that up then for me. So tell me something here where the guided pillars, uh, I have heard before that there is the presence of God seen in the pillars or the presence of God as the pillars. And that's a female form. Is that true? Sounds good to me. (laughs) I mean, when we're talking about God, how do we know? How do we know? But yes, that is, that is absolutely a line of thought. Um, So it's the Shekinah. Yes. Okay. So the Shekinah glory. Which is a feminine word. Yes. Right. So the flame or the pillar, the presence of God being the Shekinah, this becomes Mm -hmm. interesting as we move along, um, is God's holy presence. And God's holy presence is in feminine form. Mm -hmm. A a part of God's presence is in feminine form. Yes. Okay. Okay. There are other masculine forms. I'm not sure where you're getting this to be the Shekinah. Well, the pillars Um, of fire. Go ahead, Shreya. Well, is there a connection to the burning bush as well? Um a flame that doesn't consume and if that's the case like we we believe that the burning bush was there's a kind of glory right the presence of god there well i have always read studied that these presence of god the mm-hmm. presence of god in these forms could always be directly related to what is called the shekinah glory or yeah. the shekinah so this idea of the burning bush, this idea of the pillars would be just a like temporary form of that versus Mm, like in the temple or, or whatever. So, so yeah, that's, that's just where I was trying to get some clarity on some things that I've seen tie these pillars to that Shekinah. Sure. No, 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 no. Is it like this? It's like this. Yes, yeah, you got yeah. it. There we go. Okay. All right. Well, let's go on to our next uh, idea, which is uh, that is beyond the sea. And that's the Israelites' uh, fear. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that that's an important topic because in our fear, like in verse uh, chapter 14, if I look at chapter 14 and I go into verse 18 i just find this a little bit fascinating the egyptians will know that i am the lord when i gain honor excuse me 14 8 i was reading the wrong thing 14 8 
uh, right there. The Lord, the Lord made Pharaoh Egypt's king stubborn, and he chased the Israelites who were leaving confidently. So they were leaving confidently. The mm-hmm. Egyptians, including all the Pharaoh horse-drawn chariots, his cavalry, and his army, chased them. So they were allowed to leave, but now they're being chased. As Pharaoh drew closer, the Israelites looked back and saw the Egyptians marching towards them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to God, cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you took us away to die in the desert? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt like this? Didn't we tell you the same thing in Egypt? Leave us alone. Let us work for the Egyptians. It would have been better that way. Okay. So I think this is a human condition spot where we can directly relate our human condition to such things is, yeah, let's do this. And then when it gets, you know, scary, we then blame. Yeah, maybe not. So we have this (laughs) fear, but do we have other instances in scripture where the Israelites are seen as terrified? Terrified? I'm not sure. Uh, you, you, it's going to be a constant theme when we reach into the desert where they grumbled. Mm-hmm. Right. And the Israelites right. grumbled and grumbled and grumbled I and grumbled. I think um, when they sent spies into the promised land to check it out, they came back and they were scared of the giants. Right. They were terrified of the giants. Right. It just seems like that this is a unique, more of a unique and, and a, a unique moment mm-hmm. in Israel's history where they were actually terrified people. It's also interesting they that they called, they called out to God and then they cursed Moses. Right. Yeah. They probably cursed God too in that. Probably. I would have. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts about Israelites' fear and blame? I see that as a human condition verse. Yeah. Where that's what we do i mean it's the same thing moses did when things didn't work the first time right it's right sometimes the same thing i do when things don't work the first time (laughs) right exactly also that we see this story through a lens of shame that Mm. even in their most triumphal moment Mm -hmm. there's still fear and so this whole narrative is um is shrouded with with shame and shame is a way in in the ancient world to show a validity point and so what is being spoken is true and so if like they definitely could have been more arrogant in the retelling Mm -hmm. of the story but they chose to show fear instead of instead of just assuredness okay Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I no, like it. It's good. I like okay. it too. Yeah. That was like an affirmative. Okay. okay. But it sounded like I had a question mark at the end. Sorry. So this comes to <laughs> the idea again, when we have the human condition thing is there's usually a series of emotions that we go through as people. And if humans have been pretty consistent in all of their history and evolved history. I think that 
this is good for all of us just to think about is when we experience fear that can come from multiple places. Fear can come from different places in our life. So fear can be just a natural fear. Like I'm afraid of spiders. I'm not, but let's say you were, or like me, I'm afraid of heights. So when I get on insecure, in insecure situation, like if Nataya, my daughter says, Hey, come over to, you know, the edge of this cliff and look over and see what I'm seeing. I'm probably not going to go over there. Strap me into a roller coaster. I'll be fine because it's secure. Put me on a glass bridge. No, not going to work for me. So that's, that's a natural fear. Uh, but we have other fears, like maybe the fear of that comes from our guilt. Like we have a guilt um, that we have that where we've done something, you know, we stole something, we lied about something, we covered up something. Uh, and then we're afraid that we'll be, you know, caught or blamed or accused. And so sometimes our sin can cause fear. Uh, and then, then we have, this is when we feel threatened, we have the flight mode and the fight mode. Uh, so we either stand and fight or we fly, you know, we go away, uh, we out of fear. So our fear engages, but there always is a, with it, when it comes to, I'll just say not always, cause that's a generalizing term. When we. Many times when we have a guilt-based fear or we have a natural-based fear, that turns to, and, and we have a threatened-based fear, that turns into anger. And we see that in this idea of blame. So I need to be careful with my generalizations because I don't believe that's always true. Um, but I do believe a lot of times because it is in our condition to act that way is we turn in anger and we blame. And so we see this shame blame motif here where they, they feel fear because they feel threatened and then they blame, but look at what they're blaming him for. Why did you take us out of slavery? How could you, <laughs> it was better back there. Um, all right. So we see this sea as a symbol of, of recreation. So the earth is now emerging again. The sea is splitting. But you two wanted to talk about the spirit, about the wind, about the ruach. Breath. Yeah. So go for it. Talk about in 1421. Uh, that we have the sea beginning to split into two. Mm -hmm. God sends a strong east wind um, over the sea that, I don't know, blows the water, the waters back so that dry land is there. Um, but there's a couple cool things here. One of the cool things is that this is the same word used back in Genesis, um, Genesis one, um, when the spirit hovered over the water, um, that word for spirit is the same word for wind, the ruach. So it's a connection to Genesis and the creation story there. Um, 
but also it's important that it's spirit, God's spirit. So God's spirit split the water. Yeah. God's spirit in the presence of wind, like is it saying it manifested itself as wind? Or is it saying this just is a metaphor that God's spirit, what is it actually saying? Or does it matter? <laughs> um, well, same, same. Is, same, same. That, All right. That, yes. that is a hard one because you can get into the form of modalism at this point. So you have to be careful. Right. Okay. Explain that really quick. What is modalism, Jake? Modalism is when God appeared as three separate entities at three separate times. And so um, there was no continuation of, of God. It was either God creator, God in the form of Jesus, and God in the form of the spirit. And so not three beings in one, it is one beings in three. Hmm. Make sense? Like yep. God could only be one of those things at a time. There was a mode. Yeah. And there's he flipped God flipped a switch and became from Jesus to the Spirit. Right. Uh, and so it points though, I think, better to in Genesis one that the first word used for God is a plural word. And so the spirit of God, the Ruach, the wind of God hovered over the waters, the deep. And so you also have here that that the the spirit had power over the waters. Do we get into Jesus at all in this one is later on? So Jesus gave a metaphor of this in his hovering over the chaos, the storm, when they mm-hmm. stepped out of the boat and calmed the storm. It's the same, the same illustration over and over again, that there's a storm, the spirit has power over that storm, and it's, it's over water that you see the, the conquering of chaos. I think we said evil earlier. I would, I would say evil lives in the chaos. And so there was the, the manifestation of God over, over this red or reed sea, however you want to read it, that, um, yeah. It actually would be the reed sea. Yep. Because that, that was retranslated in history to the red sea. It's the same it, letters. It's the same it's, word. Yeah. yeah. So it's hard to tell where it was at. But I think like, since we all are in methodized history right now, why not just cross the biggest body of water? Right. Right. Why not just go for it? Well, I, I think there's an important thing to note here. Uh, well, number one, let me go back to your modalism idea. Is that that bad? I mean, is it bad to think of God in modes? I mean, lots of people died, that, died because of that. Why? I mean, yeah, I know. I know. I know that people died and lots of people died because of a lot of theology. But now that we're on this side of modern and reasonable thinking, why, why are we on that side of modern, reasonable thinking? No, uh, I know. Um, why is that such a big deal? Um, well, I, it wasn't a big deal for quite some time until, uh, 
later church history when trinitarian theology started to become a big thing Mm -hmm. and so you have you have jesus you the spirit you have god uh, creator will call this person and they were trying to figure out what just happened and i think that's the first 400 years of christianity was what just happened <laughs> right probably and, a long time yeah i mean we're still in that that, that phase of w- what just right. happened 2000 years ago because it yeah. was outside of uh, the created order it mm-hmm. was an, and we call it the new creation, right? And so right. modalism is not a bad thing in essence. I'll be careful with that. Okay. I think you have to give honor to the people that did, did really die because of this. Um, like in the 300s, they fought so hard over saying the Trinitarian theology that people that brought up modes of God were actually killed for their beliefs. Which is, it's odd to me, but sometimes the church does get odd to me. So we'll, we'll talk about violence in the church later. Right. Right. Yep. Right. But I, I mean, do you see a problem with modalism? I mean, are you talking to Sharia or me? All. Oh, anybody. I mean, it does seem like a problem if God can't be creator and Jesus at the same time. Why? How fast can you flip the switch? It's God. (laughs) Well, honestly, if you think about the question that we're trying to answer is it's unanswerable, number one. So it's just one of those things. It's, It's more existential to me than a real tangible question so yes i'm a trinitarian philosopher myself you know where i believe in the trinity theologian i would say you know very traditional god the creator jesus the redeemer spirit the sustainer the counselor all as one three parts one substance, I guess. Homoousia. Uh, so yes, I'm a Trinitarian person. Uh, yet somebody that comes along and says, well, what's so wrong with God coming into form of man living for three years and dying on the cross for all of humankind? Why is that such a problem? And I've heard wackier beliefs uh, and <laughs> much wackier. So I think the conversation is existential where it's like, we're talking like in a realm that is unanswerable. And then we're going to fight and kill each other, kill each other over the unanswerable question that really in the end, do you believe in Jesus? Right? Yes. All right. That's, that's our ticket to eternity in the, in the big scheme of things. Any other thoughts on that? Sharia, did you have thoughts on modalism? No. no. So the, the spirit gives way to the land. 
I have another hypothesis. My hypothesis is land and sea are metaphors mm. in scripture, just like the tree or the bush or fire being a metaphor, the smoking pot being a metaphor. I believe that land and sea are bigger metaphors than not. And this brings us into this larger section that we're going to spend five minutes on. And then we're going to get into our, then we're going to get into our overtime. All right. So land gives my hypothesis that these two are metaphors because through scripture, I read most of the time, I know that you have barren land, but land most of the time in scripture brings life out of the dust out of the land, Adam is created. Mm -hmm. We see the waters turn from the land and emerge. Now we have land that we actually are living on. Uh, trees and plants come from land and sky. Like we see that life comes from land. Soil. You go into the soil. God, God, uh, we see God died on a cross and is put into a cave or a tomb and the stone is rolled. So that's like in the earth. And then out of the land comes the resurrected life, right? I would even say that the Jews took this to the nth degree where they took a body and they would bury the body or they put the body in a tomb Sometimes they would actually bury the body in the soil in modern day or ancient modern day. They actually would take the body and bury it in soil to get the flesh off the bones. Then they would take the bones and put them in boxes. And those boxes then were put in tunnels and caves and deep trenches in the earth. Those are called the catacombs that we see and can walk around and sometimes in some ancient cities and underneath those ancient cities, we can see catacombs. And then what they believed is when, well, Jews believe that when the Messiah came and then we have the Davidic kingdom reestablished, then the bones, the resurrected lives would dry come, bones. the dry bones would come to life. And then we have than the resurrected lives of the dry bones or of the earth. So even, even non-Christian, right? Thinking life comes from the earth. My next part of that metaphor is water brings death. That water is a sign of death. So when you have Noah, and the flood that brought a lot of death. When you have the splitting of water and exodus and land emerges, that, that's life. And then the water crashes back onto the Egyptians. That's death. Job, Leviathan, uh, Leviathan. We see that as the image of evil or the image of death. So we have water becoming death. Uh, water becoming this picture of death. When Jesus was, the, the Jews believed that the evil lived in the deep of the sea. 
and Jesus walking on the water put that evil, that deep sea after we see the storm and the spirit and the walking on the water. We now see the conquering over uh, death, over evil. Any other thoughts on that? Because we're about ready to move into a huge section that's going to take all those pieces and put it together for everybody to listen to tonight or later. Jonah is swallowed, thrown off a boat, swallowed by the whale and water, spit up on the dry land. Yeah. So out of the water, in the water, there's death. And then even we, we do it today in our baptisms when Mm -hmm. we say dead to sin and alive to Christ. So we put people under the water to even symbolize the death of sin. Okay. I'm more convinced by that. (laughs) What? Come on. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Adam writes with the modalism piece. If I can go back there for a moment. Yeah. So with modalism, when Jesus prays to God, the father. Oh yeah. Is that like him leaving an inner self voicemail for the mode when it gets switched? Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes. That's good. Writing writing an email to self that will be picked up next week. Reminder. (laughs) Certainly a reminder. Yeah. Or when the voice comes from heaven, stuff like that. Yeah. 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 There's some problems with modalism. And so that's why there are books that were not included in the in the canon that they would speak mm-hmm. more to modalism that uh, there's certain and this around the same time when modalism was being smashed i'm sorry we can go into overtime with that later yeah we can i'm sorry go back well i was no 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 we are about ready to get into uh i want us to keep track of where we are so water is the symbol in history, in biblical history, of death, sin, evil, and Satan lives in the deep, or the Leviathan lives in the deep. I That's have my hypothesis. Hard, I have a hard time saying that it water is a symbol for death. I think okay. that, you want to I guess what to clarify what I'm saying is death is in the water sin is in the water but as you see in exodus like the water actually is shown as yeah brings forth death or jesus i'm the living water well okay my hot this is just broke down (laughs) (laughs) dang it okay well i mean say it say this water Water symbolizes the chaos. And it, okay. And Is there so, a difference between water and sea? No, no difference. I'm just kidding. <laughs> could be, we could, well, we that's a that. good point. That is a good point because all the examples that I'm saying have to do with the sea, the depth of the sea. Yeah. See, I think I, I know that Jews believed, Hebrews believed that that the evil was in the depth of the sea. Well, most ancient cultures believe that. You can see where, where Hades is at, right? Poseidon. Right. Poseidon is right. in the depths of the sea. Of the sea, right. So Sheree is correct. It's probably more 
the depths of the sea. Jesus saying he's the living water is like taking it. That's that seems like just a cup of water that I'm drinking right there. Well, well of water. But then the land brings life. Can we agree upon that? Yeah. Land brings life. Okay. Let's stop there because that is Exodus 13, 14 through 15, 21. And I want to take a pause. All right. Thanks everybody for listening and have a good night.